0: Hi everybody and welcome to SNL Funhouse, a Saturday Night Live recap podcast. My name is Mike Bloom. We are back in May. It's gonna be May. It has been May. And we are here talking about the final three episodes, the last stretch to the home plate that is SNL 43. Of course, I'm joined as per usual by the guy that probably understood and could have uh, gotten away with that home run reference probably much better than I could have, Mario Lanza. Mario, how are you?
1: Blooming Onion, how you doing?
0: Are we just gonna, are you going to come back with like the, the, the Rob Schneider, copy guy nicknames every time we do this?
1: I probably will not, no. But this one time, I wanted to use that. But yeah, it's good to be back. I'm. Uh, it's always fun talking about SNL, talking with you. So yeah, let's dive right into this one. There was a lot going on, and uh, there was even some that I actually understood. So I'm very excited about this one.
0: Yeah, so this was, uh, again, as we talked about last time, uh, first time in a couple of years we've had a dual host and musical guest, if you counted. I mean... It's one man doing the entire show, but he's under sort of two different personas. It is Donald Glover being the host with musical guest Childish Gambino, and I haven't put it in my rankings yet. I've been still trying to figure it out, and as per usual with this podcast, maybe this will sort of help solidify my thoughts one way or the other, but I really like this episode. And maybe I went in with a bit of bias, you know, uh, Donald Glover is someone who... I have been following since like the past ten years since I watched Drunk Baby and Bro rape uh on Derek Comedy, which was the sketch comedy group that he used to be a part of that sort of helped him break in a tiny bit to see him just do all these crazy things. I think what I would had a lot of fun with was the fact that you know he has sort of disappeared from i wouldn't say the comedy scene, but you know Atlanta. It's not necessarily a laugh-out-loud comedy, uh, and he's also been working on his music, quite obviously, as the musical guest is going to uh, to show. But it was nice to sort of see him get back to his more broader comedic roots. So that really, you know, some of these sketches might not have had the best stuff on paper, but I feel like everything was generally lifted by just how good Glover was as a host and as a sketch performer.
1: <laughs> yeah and my background is very similar to yours in my long history with donald glover in that i've seen community a couple of times
0: so very similar yes yeah, very
1: similar <laughs> background yeah pretty much exactly yeah it's a, but it's funny because i would actually we well, i'm sure we're going to get into this in the episode but i had almost exact opposite thoughts of you what you just said so it'll be interesting and it's not a bash session at all like i i think donald glover is very talented and I, i've i've but I almost think I, he wasn't really the right medium for him on SNL. Like the the one thing that kind of kept coming to my mind as I'm watching the show is this doesn't really feel like SNL. This feels like the Donald Glover show. Like it feels like there's such reverence for him. Like the writers cast really all admired him and liked him that he was the star of every single thing. It was all revolved around him, and it almost felt in a way like the Will Ferrell episode. Like this is our big chance. We get to work with this guy that we're really excited to, and so it felt a little odd to me like it really wasn't an episode of SNL but um, I don't think it was a bad episode it wasn't my favorite but it felt off to me all night just as it's hard to rank this with the other episodes just because it's different and difference is always mm. it's weird to kind of compare to other episodes because SNL tends to be very formulaic and very predictable but this one was it's an outlier and again I, I i like this episode but I have a hard time saying where I would compare it to the other ones That's if that makes sense.
0: That's an interesting comparison you make to, and I think what it comes down to is trust, which I feel like is so such a big leap that SNL took, considering that, you know, that they let John Mullaney do a lot of stuff last time, but Mulaney was a writer and Glover, you know, he got brought on board to write for Thirty Rock when he was like in NYU at the time to do some stuff, as he's gonna talk about later on. He did audition for SNL twice. Both times ended up unsuccessful, but other than that, he has these comedic chops. But I feel like now I didn't really look up the stats as to who wrote what stuff, and you know how much Glover participated in some of the stuff. But you're right in that they really put him a lot in the spotlight. And maybe it's a big Glover fan. I really appreciated that. But I think it just shows how much, whether it's him being, sort of being in the Zeitgeist. You know, his uh, his song, the second song that he put out. Uh, he premiered on SNL and then put out the music video afterwards. And that sort of has been the big pop culture splash of the past 48 hours or so has been that music video. So I feel like he's sort of in uh, and is really popular right now. And the show felt like, okay, you can hold your own when it comes to the comedic court quite literally later on in a first sketch. So I feel like that might be a reason why he's in so much is just because he is so versatile. He'll he'll muse about that in his monologue and the writers chomp at the bit to do that as opposed to here's an athlete who, uh, you know, they can, they can memorize like three words at a time. Uh, like let's, let's give them some, some, uh, slow ball sketches and then, you know, put them to the back for some of the other ones.
1: Yeah, it's the one thing I really took from that episode is I'm going to uh, <clears throat> I'm going to really reconsider what I know about Donald Glover because I really didn't know much about him. I only heard about that. He's a singer just because you mentioned it in last week's episode. And then he shows up and like he's a really good singer like those. And I'm not being facetious. Those were legitimately really good songs. And I was impressed. So I'm I mean, it's going to it's made me reconsider what I know about Donald Glover. And I'm gonna actually going go and, and, and search some of the other stuff he's done. But that being said, I, I really don't think he added a lot to a lot of the sketches. And that's the one thing it's, I know you and I are going to differ on quite a bit. Like you can see the talent. I can see how good he is. I can see the, awe, I can see the confidence he has. I just didn't think he added a lot to a lot of the sketches. I think it was a fairly solid show and he was competent enough, but like he doesn't, it's again, it's hard to describe. I don't think he elevated the material that much. I think he had a very strong supporting cast around him and they made it work. I don't know if it was necessarily because of him. And that's not to take away from him being talented. I just don't really, I don't find him that funny, to be honest. That's the thing. But I find him very, he's a very good actor. You can see he's a very good dramatic actor. He's solid in every single thing he does. And those music performances were, again, quite good. But I just, I'll I'll go through my notes here. And I don't think he was the star standout in almost any of these sketches. That's, That's the odd thing about with how visible he was in them.
0: Yeah, we'll track that throughout, because I'll be intrigued to sort of pick more into what you're saying there. But let's start with something that doesn't feature Glover whatsoever, but features about 10 other people in it. (laughs) This cold open, they are really welcoming back. And suffice it to say, there has been a lot in the news over the past few weeks between The Stormy Daniels stuff, and I'm surprised they didn't really focus on, like, the Korean reunification or ending the Korean War, that type of stuff. Maybe in a slower news week, that would have become a bigger thing. But it's pretty much around the Stormy Daniels, Rudy Giuliani being brought on to Trump's legal team, etc. But, I mean, when you think they start off with, you know, Ben Stiller talking with Alec Baldwin— Okay, this is where we're sort of going to live in Cameo Land. But we brought in a big old bus into Cameo Land. Big family reunion as we got Martin Short. We had Scar jo, Scarlett Johansson there, not just visiting her boyfriend, Colin Jost. We had Jimmy Fallon appearing. Uh, and we had the, the woman herself of the hour, Stormy Daniels, appearing as herself. So I guess we can sort of parse some of this stuff out. But overall, what did you think about this cold open?
1: <laughs> Okay, this is something I rail on all the time, and this is why I could probably not be a producer of a show like Saturday Night Live. I could not live with myself putting on something like this, which is just really long and extended and just gratuitous. It's just gratuitous celebrity cameos and applause breaks. I could not live with myself knowing that all that extra time we spent on all this stuff we didn't need – took away from the time that somebody maybe could have had a sketch on at the end of the show that was very important to them, that they had been writing for and fighting for for many years. So that's that's what really, it's like, I, I get, I know SNL likes spectacle, they like bringing on all these celebrity guests, and they, yeah, they got the big yet, they, uh, again, they did this in the 90s, they brought in Monica Lewinsky, which was kind of a, a desperate ratings show at the time, and this was, how this is going to be seen as well, like, like in 10 years, they're going to be like, who the hell was Stormy Dan, so... But that's the thing. I could not live with myself as a producer knowing that somebody's sketch they worked very hard on was cut for time because this one went so long and you had all these goddamn applause breaks, which are the things that drive me crazy on SNL when a celebrity shows up who's not in the cast, who has nothing to do with the show, like Scarlett Johansson, and we got to sit there for 20 seconds as everyone wildly applauds. And again, someone's hard work and their sketch got cut because of that. And that's, that's the stuff that bothers me. Like overall, I don't really... Have much of an opinion of this sketch. I've seen this kind of stuff on SNL before, but that's that's the thing that always galls me: how long these applause breaks last.
0: The interesting thing to me is just the scope of these impressions, because I guess one reason why they wanted to bring back ScarJo and Jimmy Fallon is because they—I wouldn't say infamously—but they played them before, and I think it's interesting because I believe Jimmy Fallon played Jared Kushner when he hosted last season, but at that time he played Jared Kushner as like. This really cool guy who didn't speak, and now he sort of has the uh, the Taron Killam doing Michael Sarah Mickey Mouse voice, uh, which is like (laughs) almost a completely different depiction. But I guess they're like tangential enough where they're not like infamous impressions. They're not they're not Melissa McCarthy doing Sean Spicer, but they're like yeah. I guess if we're gonna have people doing Ivanka, we'll bring back Scarlett Johansson, Martin Short as Doctor Harold Bornstein. Completely threw me for a loop because it seemed completely random. I mean I, I you know it's interesting that they brought Ben Stiller back as Michael Cohen uh, just because I we we had assumed that in the John Mulaney episode they only did it to get like the a uh, meet the parents thing out of it. But now I guess they're sticking with this idea that Ben Stiller is going to be now the Michael Cohen character moving forward, but I mean, Martin Short. I don't know if he was really playing Doctor Harold Bornstein as much as he was playing Jerry Lewis in a wig. It reminded <laughs> me of—I think it was—was was it him on, who, when he was on Celebrity Jeopardy doing Jerry Lewis? I, it was it sounded very, yes. very similar. The
1: very first Celebrity Jeopardy. That was ba- basically he was doing the exact same voice. Yeah.
0: What did you think about? Uh, so we, we do get some cast members in here thrown in here. You know, we uh, we have the the nice cut to uh, Chris and Alex as the FBI guys doing surveillance. I. I did not want to make this sketch necessarily longer, but I kind of wanted to see some more of that. Uh, Of course, we have Cecily in as uh, Melania Trump. We have a random call to Omarosa like three months after the fact. But I think the big one is we've got another Kate McKinnon notch in the Trump administration belt with her now taking on Rudy Giuliani, a former host, beloved host of Saturday Night Live Once Upon a Time. Uh, Any quick thoughts about another Kate impression here?
1: Well, I don't really have thoughts on that other than, well, A, it's kind of weird that they're taking, you know, cheap shots at Giuliani like some of his facial tics and stuff. Because it's weird because you know that Lauren and Giuliani and even Trump are all probably buddies behind the scenes. All these rich New York guys are all buddies. So it's, it's kind of funny that they, they would uh, kind of take digs at him in that way. But, yeah, it, um, it's odd that Kate is now apparently always going to play a male member of Trump's staff. And the other thing is that, did you notice, this was Kate's only appearance in the episode, and I can't imagine the last episode that was like that. I mean, this whole episode was Cecily. Cecily was in every single sketch where there was a female in it, and there's not a Kate McKinnon appearance to be seen, and that was very odd. So just wanted to point that out in this one.
0: Yeah, I totally thought the same thing. Very strange considering that, again, this is Kate McKinnon two-time Emmy winner maybe she was working on some other projects I don't know the week beforehand that didn't get her involved in stuff I had heard some reports from people like attending dress rehearsals that I guess there was some Kate material that got cut but yeah it was a, a surprising uh, Kate McKinnon free night it was, maybe that also contributes to sort of like your weird perception of this evening is that she was not she's so integral in a lot of these things that she was surprisingly absent from a lot of it
1: yeah. Although I will throw out a little bit of trivia here. I've seen people say this was the first time a porn star has actually appeared on SNL. Do you know, do you, uh, Mike Bloom, know that is not true? There was actually a porn star that has appeared on the show before.
0: Uh, Fred Garvin, male prostitute, of course.
1: <laughs> no, no, this is not a joke. I was going to say it's not the first time that we've had someone who's blown the president. That would be Norm MacDonald. But no, there actually was in the 80s. There was a uh, the Sam Kinison episode, I think, 85 or 86. I think his girlfriend, Sika, was on there, and she was indeed a porn star. So it is not. There's your trivia bit for the day. This was not the first appearance of a porn star on Saturday Night Live. So there you go.
2: Wow.
0: Uh, but I, I will say, if we're just speaking briefly about like the Stormy Daniels, Cameo. I mean, I think it did what it wanted to do. It got the, the clapter and I think it definitely brought attention to it. Like you said, it, it's comparable to like when Monica Lewinsky came in amongst those scandals. And uh, I, th- I think she, she, even though she says that adult film stars are not necessarily known for her acting, I think she did at least a pretty good job given like the hot spotlights and, you know, the, the people in the studio and probably the millions of people watching her at home.
1: Yeah, no, she was actually pretty natural. I was kind of surprised. Like, she absolutely fit in, and she's been in the media now, I guess, for a while, so she's pretty good on camera. But yeah, she... She was quite good, but it's one of those things. I was reading a review that said the minute Stormy Daniels shows up in the episode, then the episode is no longer about Donald Glover. Now everyone just talks about the Stormy Daniels thing the next day. And that's very true because I don't think a lot of people, maybe if they don't know their SNL history, know they brought on Monica Lewinsky to do a cameo in the middle of the the Clinton thing. And no one to this day remembers which episode that was. That was the Cuba Gooding episode. Mm. But no one remembers that. That was the, oh, that was the Monica Lewinsky episode. And I just uh, always have to go to my old friend Norm MacDonald here on quotes when they bring in these celebrity guests, which are just like – like Norm just hated when they bring on these celebrity guests. They're maybe tangentially in the news, and they just put them on the show for no reason, and Norm is like, why why is this person on the show? Why are we featuring this person on the show? It's just kind of trashy. And I always remember his quote about uh, – remember Richard Jewell, the guy who was uh, accused of the uh, Atlanta Park bombing, and then they had oh, him on the yeah, show. yeah. Yeah, and Norm has a famous, a great quote, I've always loved this, where they had Richard Jewell on Weekend Update, and Norm later said, why was this guy on the show? Like, why, what is he famous for? Because he didn't kill somebody? <laughs> Which <laughs> that's, I always just think that the cynicism of Norm when they bring on these news people in, and put them and throw them on the show for no reason, and you're just going to look at this show in 5, 10, 15 years and wonder, why was that person on there? So that's all. That's my thoughts. Again, this was just one of those sketches I just kind of wrote in my notes. Well, I guess we had to get this one out of the way. <laughs>
0: Well, we got it out of the way. Let's jump into the show proper and start with Donald Glover's monologue. As I spoke about before, uh, he muses about the fact that he can really do anything. We get a little bit of him talking about, you know, how uh, I auditioned for SNL twice. That's not a joke. I'm still pissed, but... I was thinking we were going to get a backstage tour, but it's more just like a 360, uh, which is the move that he probably tries to pull off on the skateboard as well. Where <laughs> the game is essentially he stops by these stations and he uh, tries to show off. You know, hey, what'd you do in your audition video? Well, I can do it too. Uh, I-, I like the skateboard. I thought this- I thought he did the physicality, the physical comedy on the skateboard bit really well. Especially like he flops out of camera, pops right back up, and says, "Oh, that's called an ollie." Uh, I think <laughs> the two highlights for me were that and. I know that puke gags can obviously be a little touchy, but something about him, the idea of him puking through his beloved clarinet was just, it it tickled me personally, though that might be saying more about me than anything. Did you have any (laughs) thoughts about the monologue?
1: Um, the, a couple thoughts is that the audience was really into this. If you watch this, pay attention, they're just going nuts for this. And I didn't really get it because I didn't really think it was all that fun or interesting or anything like and I admit, I I will agree with you the skateboard thing. That was fantastic. That was that was full on Jim Carrey pratfall. That was amazing. He pulled that off. But I don't think it was especially interesting or fun it just kind of dragged this monologue and it was one of those where the audience was going crazy and I'm like well it's not that good i mean we don't have to suck up to the host that much but yeah it was one of those things i could see why he's a good dramatic actor he's got charisma and stuff but this again is just part of my argument i just don't think he's that funny inherently like he's got an attitude a charm he's suave like he's got the confidence but i don't know if he actually added that much to this whole monologue other than that that really good pratfall again that was fantastic
0: so let's move into our first Post-monologue sketch. This was an interesting one because, you know, I there is this – my favorite sketch, spoiler alert, is going to be much, much later on in the show. And you look at this and you're <laughs> like, okay, I guess we started with this Jurassic World slash Jurassic Park court thing uh, where essentially uh, – and this gets revealed later on, but, you know, Mikey Dates, friends and family, they all went to Jurassic World and they were devoured by dinosaurs. And Donald Glover is the unfortunate lawyer who is trying to defend – jurassic park to try to not get sued for murdering these people's uh family and friends so yeah i mean i i personally really like this one because i liked the character and the affectation that donald glover was putting on it at least this was not my favorite sketch but it was at least a symbol to me of okay he's really gonna like throw himself into this stuff you never know even with comedic actors like how far they're willing to go and he was willing to he was willing to put on salt and pepper hair in this like ridiculous southern voice and this uh you know cocksure energy that works against him so I felt like his performance helped buy it along personally because I, I didn't think this was necessary I thought this was like a funny in concept but the more they sort of went through it I was I mean it was it was fine it, did, it didn't really hatch it was still dormant in its egg personally for me
1: just like the dinosaur egg at the end that he eats
0: yeah life finds a way
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because you and I kind of kept the the similar conclusion to the sketch or a similar impression, but for different reasons. I don't think the sketch worked at all. I mean, I can see the idea behind it. And Keenan was working his butt off trying to yeah. make this thing work. It just didn't work for me. And it's for the exact opposite reason that you said. I don't think donald glover was very good in it i think his the accent he was doing was kind of uh, distracting from the sketch it was it's a similar i would think there um there's a famous story where damon wayans affected a gay accent in a monopoly man sketch many years ago and it had nothing to do with the sketch it just kind of distracted from the humor in the sketch like i don't think glover actually added much to this sketch and i thought it was almost a little distracting that he's going so over the top and it doesn't really need to be there in the sketch and I don't know if that's really the right way to explain it, but this is one I just – it didn't, didn't really work for me and I didn't really think Glover added that much to it and he was just featured. He had every line, every inflection and, and uh, it just – I don't know. I, I read in one review someone said this one kind of felt like a mad TV sketch and that would kind of be one way to describe it. I don't really know the, the, the difference between the two, but it just kind of felt off. Yeah. And it didn't really do much for me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really have many notes on it other than I said, Keenan is really working his butt off trying to make the sketch work. But otherwise, I don't really think it was much of a standout. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. I don't know if it had a lot more potential and it just didn't work for me. But I just it was just one of those that was kind of there for me. And that's that's all I really have to say about it.
0: I think there were germs of lines that were there. I, I did like, you know, bringing in the evidence of the Instagram story. Uh, I think my favorite part was probably, you know, uh, then talking about the T-Rex and then, uh, you know, Donald Glover's character trying to use the canon of Jurassic Park to say that, like, objection, the T-Rex is a good guy now. He's constantly saving the day. Sustained. I think actually my favorite part was... The, the little peppered in of Donald Glover's character trying to also like be the judge at the same time by sustaining mm-hmm. his own objection and saying that, you know, the record shows that the law does, you know, the law allows this. So, I mean, I it seemed like I enjoyed it more than you did, but it it felt like something that was sort of there, but it, it didn't really feel like it was fleshed out entirely. And, yeah, like lo- like Glover's performance or not, it definitely stood out from everyone else. It was definitely, uh, you know, one crazy man, a room full of straight men, which I was a little surprised by because sometimes the show likes to throw in, like, a Leslie Jones in there being like, oh, yeah, he's totally right. The T-Rex is a good guy now. But
1: mm-hmm. it was an
0: interesting way to c- kick things off. And it, it seemed like the – to your point about the Will Ferrell episode, similarly, I feel like the cast was just having fun. I mean, you could tell – Keenan seemed like he was starting to break a little bit when Glover walks back to his table and does this like over-the-top flourished uh, tall pour with his glass of water. Like yeah. when you get when you get Keenan going, you know that uh, you've tickled him.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And again, it's just—it just speaks to the respect they had for Glover as a performer that they would put him in the first sketch where he basically has every joke and every line. I mean, Keenan has some side stuff to sell the jokes, but yeah, this was—it just speaks. It just—it's it's, again, it's so obvious to me when you watch this how highly they thought of Donald Glover. So that's why I feel bad that I just don't find him that funny. But people that do find him funny, I'm sure you really like this sketch, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. It's just we have different points of view on what kind of comedy we like.
0: Alright, let's go to our pre-tape here. I am so intrigued to get your thoughts here, Mario, because I feel like with this Friendos sketch you were probably coming in from a completely secluded place (laughs) of pop culture. So I think we're going to have like differing perspectives on it, which should make for very interesting discussion. So coming in sort of as agnostic as you are, (laughs) what did you think about the way this was executed? This idea that here is this uh, hip-hop mafia, hip-hop crew, but they go to therapy and talk out their problems with Dr. Angela Adelson?
1: You know what? I think I'm going to surprise you. This was my favorite sketch of the night.
0: Okay, I have. I, I, I would. I, have, I would. I would not be. I would not particularly disagree. I think there's definitely a case that can be made for that, and not in the Donald Glover lawyer way.
1: Yeah, I have no back history on what this is. I read. Okay, this is a parody of Migos, which we learned. I learned was a rapper a couple weeks ago. But again, I have no back history on any of this stuff. And and I, I've even seen people on Twitter say it's weird seeing Mario comment on stuff. He doesn't know any of the like. It's not written for him. He doesn't even know the back history. I don't think it matters. This was a really funny concept, even if you don't know that. Just rappers in therapy where they're doing a little shtick and like with the therapist, like one of them's doing his little uh, catchphrase over the side, Lambo, visible. Like, I thought this was a hilarious idea and I don't even care. You don't have to know the backstory. This is just funny regardless and it's very well done. They, I mean, Glover absolutely nails his role and Chris Redd and Keenan, of course. Keenan is the MVP in all these sketches always. And that's, I thought this was fantastic and Cecily, I just thought it was really well done, and, like, if, if yeah, if you may be surprised that I would think that, but I think this was a solid comedic idea pulled off by good writing by four very solid performers, and I have nothing bad to say about it. I've watched it three times, and every time I've liked it more. I think it's fantastic.
0: I completely agree, and I think it's it's weirdly tangential, but, like, this is the reason why there was this big boon in the late 90s of those comedies where here's a hardened mob boss and now we're putting him in therapy or we're making him interact with Matthew Perry. You know, there's some inherent comedy within. Let's take someone from this hardcore lifestyle and put them in an environment where they have to talk about their feelings. First, I will say, of the song itself, and I'm, I'm assuming that Glover, you know, and Chris Red probably co-wrote the song, but the lyrics are really intricate and really <laughs> damn good, uh, which, again, is like a parody of Migos. Not uh, even be better than this first material. Just saying, I do remember uh, Wolf from America talking to us about how the how Migos is not necessarily known for their poetic expertise. But I t- I'm in total agreement that in terms of the performances, this is what you're to your credit before about Glover being a very good, like grounded, dramatic actor as mm-hmm. well. Like they were, they were really hashing out feelings. It wasn't like they were, you know, they steered into the curve, which I think made it even more funny. Uh, and I loved Cecily did a good job being a straight woman, but she does get her fun moment of saying, "Well, instead of talking, bitch, how about you listen?" <laughs> uh, I will breakthrough. say, "Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough." I'm I'm still a little confused about the ASAP Rocky cameo at the very end. When I talked with Will from America about it. Uh, since, again, my hip-hop knowledge is kind of minimal, he seemed to indicate that there's not really a connection between ASAP and Migos or even ASAP and Childish Gambino outside of, like, one comment that won through the other's way. So, I mean, this could have been as completely random as Martin Short appearing, but it, it was a little odd that, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a very, very slim thread, I guess, connecting these two pieces that would bring ASAP in for a final joke.
1: Yeah, it's funny because in every episode, the one thing I do is I try to pick out the sketch. What's the one that's going to go viral? What's the one that everyone will remember from this episode? And it was tough for like they're going to talk about the Stormy Daniels thing. They're going to talk about the Kanye place. But this is the one I think is the standout. But I don't necessarily know it's going to go viral. I don't know if it was that big. It's kind of, again, it's specific to a certain you know reference to something, which, again, I don't think matters. Good comedy should hold up regardless if you know the references. It's this is one of those episodes, this Donald Glover one. I don't know is going to be very fondly remembered because it doesn't have those big one or two standout sketches that you just remember off the top of your head from it. But I will say this is the one that should be, and uh, it will be curious to see in the next, you know, couple years what gets remembered from this episode. I'm hoping it's this one. And again, I and again I had no clue who that guy was at the end who had the cameo, but it it doesn't matter. The sketch was great anyway.
0: Well, speaking of obscure references, let's go <laughs> even further. In that direction. Let's talk about this Raz P. Berry song, because I didn't even realize this. This is a super deep pull, but apparently this entire onus of this sketch is based off of a one-hit wonder called The Rain from someone named Orin Juice Jones. And if you watch the video, they have the details down pat. He's wearing this big trench coat like Donald Glover was. The song is about, hey, I caught my woman, you know, holding hands with another guy in the rain. So it's so random for either the writers or Glover, I don't know who wrote this, to pull from this. But mm-hmm. I would say, you know, even not knowing what it was, it was so specific and so weird to me that I really enjoyed it. I'm i am a fan of these, uh, what I would call like rug pull sketches where, you know, they're not fantastic for improv scenes because they help trick the other people. But when it comes to sketches where you know what's happening, where they, you know talk you into a situation where you think you know what's happening, and then all of a sudden, somebody says something, and it's a completely different scenario. The thing that I'm reminded of is in the aforementioned Jimmy Fallon episode, where Jimmy Fallon serenades uh, Cecily in her apartment, and then Cecily after, like, two minutes says, like, Mark, you dragged a doctor off the United, the United Flight. And so that's sort of, like, the big reveal, and that sort of changes everything. We get that here, where he believes that he has caught his woman in the act. He follows her to a restaurant where he goes through the whole list of things that he's done to get revenge on her only to find out that it's not her he just completely mistook her for someone else so i'm assuming you didn't necessarily know the source material either but what'd you think of this one
1: yeah, no, I had no idea this was based on a video. But again, it shouldn't matter. I think I I appreciate anybody who goes something that random to make a reference to. That's clearly someone who loved something like that. So I, someone loved that video and they wanted to do a sketch. So I appreciate that. Um, I In general, I'm a big fan of rug pulling sketches like you are as well. I like where a sketch goes in a completely 180 different direction. I don't really think this one worked that well. It was, it, I don't know, for some reason, I like the idea behind this one. I just don't think it was all that funny. Like, I, I could see where they're going with it. I just didn't like the writing. Like, they're doing stuff like the the jewelry up my butt, and I have pee in my hair. And again, I will say, as someone had said before, this feels like a Mad TV episode. This very much kind of has that same spirit. That's Mad TV, where it's 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 not particular, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here, but it's not, it's it's, not very... Uh,
0: I would say it's yeah. broad.
1: It's broad. Yeah, it's not, uh, I don't know, it's... It's not very adult humor. It's like childish humor. It just, I didn't really think it worked. I think, you know, Glover did a good job with it. I think Cecily did good. I think Keenan did well, but it just, it, again, it just seemed kind of like a mad TV sketch and it's not really my type of humor, but I, in theory, I, I should like this one more than I do and I didn't hate it. I just don't think it was as good as it could have been. And I'm not entirely sure what was missing other than maybe the writing could have been a little sharper, or a little better, but yeah, it's just, it's one that was there and I enjoyed it for what it was, but I'm not going to like go back and watch this one again or anything.
0: Of all the activities, I think my favorite was not necessarily that he said he almost cut his own thing off, but specifically he passed out when he just held the knife. I think it's those types of things, because I do agree that, like, putting jewelry up your butt and, you know, almost cutting off your thing are, like, I wouldn't say those are stereotypical, but, like, those are maybe some of the first places you go when you think of, like, crazy ways to get revenge. But then we get a little more, you know, insane with these things. But I I just—I'm a sucker for the rug pull, so when she says— I don't know who you are, and his just, like, trying to recover, Uh, talking about, you know, Rambo style, how it's Rambo style because he wears the sunglasses. Maybe they marinated a bit too long after the reveal happened to just sort of, you know, they didn't really go anywhere with it, but I thought this was definitely above replacement level, and this is also Donald Glover getting to show off his pipe, so I can't complain too much.
1: Yeah, and this was a better sketch than the trial. Like, I thought the trial yeah. one was just kind of thrown together. This was a much more noble effort. I appreciated where they were going for this one. It didn't necessarily hit the heights I thought it could have, but this was, I mean, in, in every respect, it was a noble attempt at a sketch, and I thought it was it was fairly decent.
0: All right, let's get into our next pre tape here. You mentioned it before as maybe the—besides uh, the Stormy Daniels appearance, the other big thing to break big out of this episode— A Kanye place. And this wasn't necessarily a rug pull, but it drops us in a little bit of mystery where you have these five people running through this cornfield and it seems like they're going off of a quiet place where there's these monsters that detect sound. and They have to remain quiet. The problem is they can't stay quiet when Kanye West is doing all of these damn crazy things on his (laughs) social media. So I know you're a fan of horror movies as well. Did Did this suit your tastes?
1: Oh yeah, this was really well done, and I haven't seen a Quiet Place yet. And I only, you know, half-heartedly follow Twitter or Kanye or anything, but I kind of know enough about the two to know what's going on. But yeah, this I thought this was really well done. I am a big fan of of these pre-taped pieces on SNL these days, to the point that I almost I am <laughs> I love when there's more pre-taped than live stuff because it's so much better usually. But yeah, this was really well done. It was funny. I love the performances, and I will say I will give credit where credit is due that this one in particular. If you just watch Glover's performance in this one, he's so good in this one. Like, he absolutely sells this, and, you know, he's mouthing the lines, and he's trying to be quiet. He's absolutely a very, very good dramatic actor, and he totally is the heart of this one. So if you want to watch what I think might have been his best performance of the night in a non-singing capacity watch this one where he really holds it together he's it's the one this is the one where he's the glue and he elevates everything so yeah i thought this was great i think it's going to hold up well it was just uh really well done the ending was kind of lame they could have done a little better ending i thought it would look kind of cheesy with the stop motion thing but otherwise yeah i got nothing bad to say about this one i'm curious what do you think about this one
0: i think that i I agree that i think glover was like a great anchor for this sketch uh but i i really like the other supporting performances as well especially Keenan, I know he's only in it for a little bit, but him audibly yelling out, oh, come on, Kanye, I think was a great way to... Because I think it was uh, that was when we cut to the reveal of a Kanye place, which was so good. But I'll say, you know, uh, if if is the valedictorian, salutatorian goes to AD Bryant, who really <laughs> does not do too, too much, unfortunately, this episode, along with Kate. But I love her being so adamant about not only the fact that she has to listen to Kanye's new song right there, right then, but that she needs to find out if he did say poopity scoop, which... if you heard his new song, Lift Me Up, he does indeed go on a tangent at the end where he says the word poopity scoop a number of times.
1: Well, Cecily was in this, right? She was one of the first ones. Cecily was. second.
0: Yeah, the first or second. And then it was down to to Glover, Beck, and 80 by the end of it.
1: Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to point out again every single sketch so far in the show has featured Donald, Cecily, and Keenan. It's the I mean, weirdest thing. It's like it's like they just ended up cutting some other sketches, and we ended up with this mix where it's always the same three performers. And I know that wasn't intentional. I don't think so anyway, but it's just odd that it's it's just the exact same performers so far in the show in every sketch.
0: You know, I remember, yeah, so Cecily gets killed off, I think, third, because she's the one that is so aghast at the fact that uh, Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Freaking <laughs> Family went over to, uh, to Kanye's house.
1: <laughs> yes, leave Chrissy Teigen alone.
0: <laughs> yeah, she made some ju- she made some jambalaya or what and a gumbo, so we can't <laughs> knock her too too much. Well, you said that you know uh, two of I guess Glover's uh, main henchmen here in in Keenan and Cecily will not be in this next sketch. We're getting surprise surprise a recurring character from Melissa Villaseñor. So this is a dirty talk character, which I don't know if you remember Mario, but back in the what? Aziz Ansari episode last year, it was pretty much the same idea of the sketch where. Here are these two lovers in bed where, again, once again, they are not doing any heavy petting. They're, I mean, they're literally doing heavy petting. They're just rubbing each other's arms to get into the mood. But it's essentially, you know, they try to get Melissa to do dirty talk. And she just, Amelia Bedelia style, just takes it completely literally. I don't know, this might be a hot take that even though this was a retread, I actually, because I watched the Aziz Asari version after I watched this episode, I kind of like this version better. And I don't know. I I don't know if it was like the way Glover was reacting. I don't know if it was the different ways they went with it. But I I I, I was when I went into this, I'm like, okay, are they just going to go Mad Libs and do the same thing all over again? But they went in a lot of new directions with it, so I, I give it a lot of credit.
1: I will re- be right there with you on that hot take because I think this one was better, and I will tell you why. I was I've been thinking about this one. This is the sketch I've been thinking about all day, trying to think of what I wanted to say about it. Is that. You know, they they have the hardest tra- time trying to make Melissa Villasenor happen on this show, and they're they're really trying to make it work. And the thing is, she does the impressions. She, she's really good at the impressions, and you had the first one, and it was a funny sketch because you, you found a way to work her impressions into the sketch, which is a hard thing to do, organically just work impressions. But I was never in love with that first one because it's not organic. It's just weird. It feels like we're going to force a way to get her impressions into a sketch. It didn't feel like it was a very naturally written comedy sketch. This one was much more organic, like it was her screwing up the dirty talk in a much more organic way that somebody might do, which I thought was much funnier. And again, I I really like that she's on the show. I'm rooting for her, but she has the hardest time because... And this is a weird sentence to say. I just uh, heard somebody write this today. Like, you know, she can do a million voices, but she chooses that to be her normal voice. Which, mm. <laughs> which I know is a, a weird thing to say, but it's just, it is very distracting. My wife says that when we watch these episodes, she's like, I can't watch Melissa Via That voice bothers me. And so this one, they actually found a way for her to be herself. And the voice again is a little distracting. I, I I know she's working on it. I know people have told her about this that we have to figure out a way to get you to talk in a different voice as your regular character, but. I thought this was fantastic because you never saw the punchlines coming and they didn't just shoehorn into that cheap gimmick of just having her do impressions, which again is, is not organic at all. Like, uh, tell me something horrible okay you're retarded no no don't say that like tell me a, you're a freak you're a freaking bad and she's like yeah, I'm the elephant man like, like that is a very naturally funny concept and a little edgier as well so I, I, I thought this one was funnier and I laughed more at this one and I'm really glad to hear that someone else said that because I've read some other reviews of this episode and say uh, it was kind of a knockoff of the Aziz Ansari one but I don't think it was a knockoff at all I think that was the first attempt to find, kindly find a recurring character for her and I think this was the first one where, where she really kind of did something that wasn't dependent on impressions, and I know hmm. she had that one sketch a couple of weeks ago with the uh, the the, the heavy metal grandma. Yeah, I lo- I still love that sketch because that was the kind of her coming out sketch where she was announced as like a major part of the show, and this was another one that I thought was solid. And again. Again, if you don't like Melissa, you may not like the sketch. I'm rooting for her as hard as anybody because I think she's funny, and I, I really like this one. I don't think it will be the standout like Friendos. Friendos will be the big one, I think. But this was a very solid middle-tier sketch where you're really rooting for someone to get a, a something that's going to pop with the audience. I think this one did.
0: Yeah, I co all that in terms of I'm, I'm happy that we're sort of slowly finding an avenue for Melissa. I think the thing that I liked about this version as well is that I do feel like, and I I like the Aziz Ansari version as well, but I feel like a lot of it was her sort of, like, putting things onto him, and it's, it's sort of, it's very granular to say, but this time there was a lot of stuff done to her, you know, you mentioned the thing about you little freak, and then she goes into the elephant man. Uh, you know they do. The, they do the the cop you know role playing. He says, "You you know why I pulled you over?" She says, "Yeah, because I killed my mom." Uh, so <laughs> she was putting a lot of stuff onto herself, uh, and also including saying that uh, he was her little brother. Now scram, you little dork! So I th- I think <laughs> even though like when the whenever the sketch starts and you have him once to go, well, oh 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 yeah, it's Saturday night. It's time for us to have sex. You're like, what? What is this? But that stiltedness like help segue into the rest of the sketch if that makes sense so i'm hopeful that this will be the second of i want I don't, I don't want to see this you know an umpteenth amount of times i don't want this to become the next gilly for example but i hope this is uh s- slowly but surely bringing melissa more into the light hopefully you know this means that she'll be another at least have another season as a feature player if not being upgraded to the main cast depending on who leaves after this season
1: yeah, no, she's absolutely solid. I see no reason they should get rid of her. She brings kind of a unique voice to the show. But I'll, I will say one constructive criticism here. Man, she is glued to those cue cards in these sketches. So mm-hmm. that's the one thing. She has to be a little more subtle about when she's taking a look at those cue cards because it is, it's is—it's not natural. The sketch could be a little more natural. And I agree, the interplay between her and Glover was r- very good in this one. I think I actually think he did elevate this one quite a bit because he has to react to her. And then he has his lines too. But yeah, it's, again, d- don't cut her. Just keep her on the show. And this was a good, this is a good a uh, progressive effort to get her more and more integrated into the cast
0: all right let's go to our musical guest but we're still talking about the same guy with childish gambino we heard a little bit of your thoughts earlier mario but let's go to our resident musical expert will from america is indeed back to talk to us about his thoughts on childish gambino's two songs will take it away
2: good morning america this is will from america And I'm here to talk about the performance of Childish Landino last night on SNL. Overall, I thought Donald Glover was a really incredible host. Even the sketches that were on the weaker side, he really made them work with his performance. Uh, And as far as his musical performance goes, I thought both were were really incredible. Um, He really made use of the visual medium, the being on stage with all the choreography going on in both performances. Um, I definitely always appreciate it when you have people playing real instruments. But yeah, his voice sounded great. The first song, uh, Saturday, definitely had more of a retro feel to it, and it had a lot of energy. uh, Good stuff, good stuff all around. Uh, The second song I didn't like quite as much uh, It was called This Is America, and it really played more on a lot of the tropes of modern rap music. And at first I thought it was, it sort of was using that as a crutch, but I eventually felt like he was able to use the, those modern stylings to create something new, uh, to create something fresh, just sort of like playing off of something that people recognize. So overall, I felt like it was a really good performance and a, a pretty solid night overall for SNL. So I'll send it back to you guys.
0: All right. Thank you, Will. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just talked about uh, at the end of our previous podcast, Childish Gambino, I had, you know, his original CD, Camp, in my iTunes for quite some time, just because I love Donald Glover. But I mean, two completely different songs. I know This Is America, especially again, as I said before, given uh, the recent music video, has really broken big and made a huge statement. And I encourage everyone to check it out because it's a really stunning work of art in general. But he really just like made a performance on the stage, especially I'm still obsessed with the lighting that happened in This Is America. I don't know what laser technology they were utilizing on the 8H stage, but it was beautiful to watch.
1: Yeah, I, I have nothing bad to say. Again, I, I only kind of half-heartedly watch the musical performances not because I'm not really interested in music on Saturday Night Live. I just really care about the ride, the comedy writing. But both of them I actually kind of stopped and watched for a while because the first one in particular I thought was a really good song. The second one, obviously, a little different style. But I, I think he's very talented. And again, I, I'm obviously coming late to the game, not even realizing Donald Glover was a singer. But I, I thought they were really good. I'm, I'm impressed. I think he is a – as you said, he's not just a triple threat. He's a threat.
0: Well, let's move on into weekend update here. Uh, The two new Emmy hosts, Michael Che and Colin Jost, are back to talk about everything going on with the news. Before we get into our two correspondent solo pieces, any particular things stand out about the Jost and Che stuff this week?
1: I, again, I, I never say any bad things about these guys because I think they're great. They are clearly comedy writers, which is near and dear to my heart, so I, I love all their jokes. I almost always think Jost has the better jokes of the two, and that's not to say anything bad about Michael Shea. I just think Colin Jost is a fantastic joke writer, but Shea actually had my favorite jokes this week, and I will say in particular the one where if Stormy Daniels is seen on camera with a black guy, her price goes down. That is a wonderfully dark Porn joke right there that I'm really glad that they worked onto the show, and you could hear the audience's reaction to that one. So, big shout out to Michael Shea for that one. That was my favorite joke of the day.
0: Yeah, I will say the two that I would like to highlight uh, one was, again, speaking towards che, uh when the graphic comes up with Kanye with his comments that he said slavery was a choice, Shea just goes, pass. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just a, a really fun moment that sort of, again, breaks up the natural rhythm of Weekend Update, which I'm always happy to do sometimes where you get a lot of the pattern going. But sometimes it's, you know, whenever we see the tree for i come up, for example, you know that the rhythm is going to get broken up. And the other one that I personally love that was in my wheelhouse personally was Colin talking about the man who got arrested for having sex with a, the tailpipe of a car. And it was described mm-hmm. as exhausting.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll I'll do my Harvard joke of the week, this joke that's a little too brainy for most people. But, I mean, this is not the joke that I would make, but I appreciate the Harvardness of uh, 7-Eleven playing classical music to chase out homeless people. It's having no effect, but it's making the vagrants smarter. Yeah. Which I, I, I love appreciate the, 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 the thought process behind that one.
0: And I love the graphic, too, of, like, the bum with, like, the bowler <laughs> cap and the monocle. That's what <laughs> really made it. <laughs>
1: Again, I know, I know. Lauren always gets bagged on for hiring just hiring Harvard writers, but that—that's a Harvard joke right there. That's that's a brainy joke. You kind of have to know the whole study behind classical music making babies smarter to get that one. But I I appreciate that he would go for stuff like that.
0: All right, so let's go to our first correspondent here. We have no characters here. We have two SNL members, most well known for playing themselves, playing themselves. We have Pete Davidson <laughs> on. I believe the last time he was on was the Bill Hader episode. I want to uh-huh. say, but. Uh, Pete, I mean, completely comes on and, uh, lampshades things by saying, look, I'm not actually talking about this. I'm coming on to essentially roast the two of you for getting to host the Emmys. So I'll say Mario, A, how did you feel when you heard the news about the two of them hosting the Emmys? And B, what were your thoughts on Pete's uh, performance couched in that criticism?
1: Well, my first instinct when I heard they were hosting the Emmys is, yeah, maybe I'll watch the Emmys, because that's not something I normally watch. I don't really care that much. But I like these two guys and their interplay so much. I may indeed tune in just to see how it's going to work. But I I, again, to to go to to Pete Davidson here, I love that he's crossed over into I just don't give a crap stage of his (laughs) SNLs career at this point i find him so funny this season and he's just he's just going for broke he doesn't care he knows he's only playing himself at this point he's never going to have characters he's always pete davidson and this roast was so funny this was one of my favorite parts of the show i kind of forgot about it until i was just rewatching right before we did this podcast where how good some of these lines are where so like oh i guess i guess to be the host of the emmys you just have to have to have cute two cute friends now who just read jokes and are all cute like who's going to host next year a squirrel and a cat That's the line that I like, but from start to finish, that was just a wonderful roast, and Davidson just owned it, and and this was fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about that. He is so much funnier all of a sudden that he just doesn't seem to care anymore.
0: Yeah, I was a little saddened at first that it was not uh, autobiographical, because I feel like what I've loved him the most doing, especially recently, is him just digging in on himself, but I mean, he's also... If you had watched some of the most recent comedy, Central Rose, he is fantastic in them. And I like Mm -hmm. that he brings it in here. Uh, I think, actually, my favorite comment, right after the cute friend's remark that you said, was, you know, America saw that you read a joke, and then you read a different joke, and then they were like, wow, what chemistry. I think it's just... It's fun to – because I'm, I'm excited – as an SNL fan, I'm excited for Che and Joes to host, too. But it is a little weird that, like, these I – mean, it's not really, like, a Tina Fey and Amy Poehler where, like, you could tell they're best friends. Like, in fact, they, they, they often put up this thing of, like, oh, we have a, a, a borderline antagonistic relationship. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of segues, too, because, like, neither one of them, unlike, again, Tina and Amy, are actors – As well. Uh So I'm just really intrigued to see how it's going to go. But I think also, maybe my favorite line was uh, Pete trying to bag on Che by saying that, oh, yeah, you know, you got Warren Littlefield's nuts in your mouth. And Che's like, Warren Littlefield hasn't worked here in. 10 years and pete says well southwest needs to get some new magazines
1: <laughs> i was gonna specifically highlight that line because that is such a comedy writer's joke because you have to put the pieces together in your head to walk back exactly why he would say that and that's what makes it funnier that his only knowledge of pop culture is what he reads on southwest uh frontier magazine so yeah i that that is absolutely the standout line that i loved in that so kudos to pete for throwing that one in there
0: all right, let's move into our other correspondent here, Leslie Jones, also coming in with a with sort of a different take on her usual stuff. She is sort of talking about her forlorn love life, but now it comes with her own sense of music as she sort of gives her own uh, Sarah McLaughlin in memoriam to all the bad boyfriend decisions she made in her life. What do you think of Leslie's appearance here?
1: Yeah, I mean, Leslie's one of those, you know what you're going to get from every appearance, You either like her or you don't like her. I tend to like her stuff more often than not. This one I didn't really think was that interesting. I just kind of kind kind of of thought it meandered. Although I'm always shocked when she has actually a really good singing voice. And yeah. it's weird to say you don't picture her as a singer. She's like a big, loud stand-up comic. But she's sung on the show before, and she's actually quite good at singing. So I will say it's always kind of cool to see her singing, but I didn't think this was especially interesting. And I thought it was kind of loud and or just long and gratuitous. It just kind of went on a little too long, I thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always appreciative of, the, of when, you know, you deviate from the main stuff. I mean, we didn't even get, like, a euphemism for Colin, even though we got the Colin reference at the very end. It's, been, it's been a minute since we've had her on. The last time she was on was for the Charles Barkley episode to talk about uh, her time, uh, you know, at the, at the Winter Olympic Games. But I at least appreciated what they were going for in, like, going through the, these guys that she got with. But none of them were particularly, like, I don't know, none of them, none of them really stood out to me except her saying, uh, Jamaica a mistake That, for some reason, tickled me a bit, and I was a little surprised that, like, I I did, like, sort of capping it off with ending on Colin's headshot, but then Colin says, like, I have a girlfriend, and his girlfriend is in the building and was guesting (laughs) on the show. I'm very surprised that she didn't, like, walk out, because I I knew the audience would have probably gone crazy in that moment, and it would have just contributed greatly to uh, the narrative that they keep building with this backstage drama.
1: Well, we had to have all those applause breaks at the start. We didn't have time for an applause break here. You have to. Oh, so we cut
0: a ScarJo appearance because of that?
1: Yeah. Well, she had the the uh, the appearance at the start. Maybe they threw her threw that in at the beginning as kind of a uh, a uh, carrot in front of the donkey to keep her happy because they had to cut it here. So it's the applause break conundrum.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate because because he, she was uh, she wasn't there in person, as Leslie says. You know, it now she believes that Colin's gay, and that's why it'll never work. <laughs> yes. Alright, let's move into our only a few post-update sketches. A little bit of a front-loaded uh, episode this week, but it took a little while, but Donald Glover, the reason why he's here pretty much is because he's promoting Solo, a Star Wars story, playing a young Lando Calrissian, and now we get some some nice commentary on the Star Wars universe, where uh, they, Lando Calrissian has held a summit for all of the black humans in the Star Wars universe, of which there are a grand total of four <laughs> including himself, Mario. I know you're a, you're a big Star Wars person. What'd you think about this one?
1: I like this one. This was this was a fun, cute little post update sketch, and it had some good writing. and And uh, uh, Glover is fantastic at playing young Billy D. Williams. I mean, that shouldn't yeah. be a shock. He's doing that in a movie, but like having not even seen the movie yet, I'm like, he's really good at playing that role. But this also does tie into what I said at the very beginning of this episode that this was a fun sketch. I love the writing in it. I don't know if Glover really added that much to it. Like he was good as Lando, but all the good lines in it were from other people. Like Keenan killed in this one, and Leslie killed in this one, and like I, I really like the writing and just the thought process behind the sketch. But I don't think Glover really added much to it, other than you know he's playing a good version of uh, Lando Calrissian in there. And it's it's yeah, it's that's the one. I don't know what did you think about this one? I I liked it, but it wasn't really a a one that you're going to remember for the next couple of weeks or anything.
0: I mean, as a Star Wars nerd, I love that they uh, they embrace this. It reminded me a little bit of during the Chance the Rapper episode when they did the, the, uh, the sketch where Batman was, uh, you know, what was the side of Batman from the people that were living in, like, underserved communities and were constantly, like, getting marauded all the time and trounced upon by Batman. Now it's sort of, like, focusing on things from a different perspective. So I like them sort of poking fun at that universe. But I wonder, like... Lando didn't get a lot of funny stuff either. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like a big glover apologist here, but I feel like he did a great job of playing Billy D Williams and he had a couple of fun lines like when he's uh you know talking about one of the great things about space girls is that they'll like they'll take off their shirt and they'll say, "Oh, that's your that. We'll figure it out uh mm-hmm. but I, I agree that I think the a lot of the humor and jokes. Uh, you know, it's this idea of if this is true, then what else is true lied with everyone else, but especially Keaton as Saw, Ger- Saw Gerrera, which was uh, a <laughs> Forest Whitaker's character from Rogue One, especially the in memoriam of being only Mace Windu.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. That was a great line. I love the Let me hear you roar. And there's like two people out there. Roar. And then Leslie, like the line that doesn't even have anything do to the, would do with the sketch where she just walks up and and L- L- Lando tries to kiss her on the hand. And she's like, I don't know you like that. <laughs> that was just a great little Leslie moment that has nothing to do with the sketch. It was just really funny. I was, I was trying to think of a parallel here where you have this really funny sketch going on with a dramatic actor in the middle who's playing a good dramatic role, but it's not really that funny. And it's it's the weirdest comparison. The one I can think of here is Charlize Theron, and I always remember her episode. She is such an amazing dramatic actor. She can play anything, but when she's trying to be funny it doesn't really translate that well and i always remember that episode of her doing dramatic stuff in the middle of a funny scene and it's like well it's great she's doing a good job there but it doesn't really add to the scene much so that's maybe and i know it, I'm, it sounds like i'm being harsh on glover i'm not trying to be i'm just noticing that he doesn't comedically it this he doesn't add that much to the sketches in a lot of them that's just it just seems like a repeated thing in this episode
0: well, at least he gets to sing at the end via a giant version of the Max Rebo costume.
1: <laughs> yeah. Again, it was, it was a good sketch. I like this one. I, I watched it again right before we did this uh, episode. It was It's on YouTube, and I was like, that, that was a funny sketch. Whoever wrote that one, I, I tip my cap. That was a good idea for a sketch.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that it was bummed so far back into the show, considering that it's A, Star Wars, and B, this is sort of like why Donald Glover's here. But maybe it just didn't play well in dress. I'm not entirely sure. This next sketch, I can absolutely understand why it was in the back half of the episode. And I almost <laughs> loved it because of that. Let's talk about these Barbie interns. Spoiler <laughs> alert, this is probably my favorite sketch of the night. I I mean, you talk about a writer sketch. There are so many, because they could have gone in an easy direction where it's, okay, Donald Glover's the only crazy person and everyone else, even, you know, your Heidi's and your Pete's are completely normal. Maybe they have some character stuff to them, but... I I just love the fact that each and every one of them, with the exception of Cecily, has something going on. That just makes it such an interesting back and forth where it's not that, okay, we're just waiting for Glover to talk again. Now we get to go to all these different characters that all have some weird stuff going on. I'm going to highlight some lines, I'm sure, coming up. But give me your thoughts on this sketch.
1: Yeah, before, what's funny is I didn't watch this one live on East Coast time. I kind of, since we did, we weren't taping the next morning, I had a chance to kind of read some reviews of the episode and listen to East Coast people talk about it before I saw it. And this is the episode that many people mentioned. Oh, that was the standout. That Barbie one, I, I heard people say, I didn't laugh so much at that episode, but the Barbie thing was funny. So I watched it and I really like this one. This is a absolutely perfect end of the uh, episode sketch. I like the writing process behind it. It wasn't my favorite just because I like Friendos a little bit more, but I, I, I'm i always going to like a sketch like this that's so bizarre. I have a couple of little nitpicks with it. I thought Pete's character was a little too broad. I thought it would have been funnier if he'd been more of a dimwit like a, like a Heidi. I think Heidi's character was fantastic. So good. I like Donald. Yeah, I like Donald's character just because he was so dark. Although, admittedly, I don't even know if he – I keep saying this. I don't know if he really – brought all that much to the delivery i think the delivery itself and the writing was good i don't know if he really added that much to it but i love that idea of that character i do think maybe pete should have been a little a little less broad but otherwise yeah i liked the sketch i thought it was funny and yeah it's 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 not one of those that's going to go viral because it's huge and it was like bigger than life. But it's one of those that maybe in five years when I start remembering these, oh, what's a good uh, underrated sketch from five years ago? This is one, this is the type of sketch that will come up. Like, remember that? That was really funny and that one didn't get a lot of attention. So, yeah, this is my type of sketch and it wasn't like my favorite of this kind. But it, I'm going like, to like this type of humor anytime it shows up on SNL.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the main comparison that I have this sketch to was uh, the – Bill Hader showcased it was the puppeteering class uh <laughs> yeah. where there was also still stuff going on with I think it was Vanessa and Keenan that were doing <laughs> it as well but I think that similarly I think what Bill and Donald both brought was like an intensity because I, I agree that the the writing is pretty dramatic and pretty dark and it's hysterical here but I feel like they just both bring this stone cold method of delivery that almost makes the lines even funnier to the point of where again I think you you saw Keenan break a little bit but there's just so many good lines in here. I agree that Heidi, Heidi's so good at playing, like, complete dimwits, uh, you know, between her 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 uh, caption of, hi, it's Barbie, I can't find my dog, or probably <laughs> maybe one of my favorite lines of the sketch, it's almost not night anymore, which just, the more you think about it, it just gets more confusing, but I love the extended monologues. I know we just had one last time with John Mulaney doing the drag brunch, but just having Donald Glover start with this caption for this picture of, I can't shake the image of the girl getting hit by that car. It was four (laughs) years ago outside my dream house. I was holding a chocolate bar like that. Like, the chocolate bar was a really fun one, too, where they (laughs) they were all insistent that she was holding a chocolate bar, even though she wasn't. Uh, But I I don't know. uh, And I thought it also built nicely, too, where – the third one that Glover did was not necessarily about, uh, you know, about the little girl, which you thought it might have just been hitting the same nail. This time was about, you know, I, found, I met a woman in the grocery store who <laughs> told me that I'm a, I'm a toy who didn't know where my house or my car came from. And it just it ending with the line, today is the first and very last day of my life. It's <laughs> like sometimes I don't necessarily need to have the joke explained to me. But for some reason, having Keenan slowly but surely unpack each and every <laughs> element of that last monologue made it even funnier. So, I mean, this, this was a complete home run for me.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing with these dark sketches. Like, saying the dark line is funny to start with, but the second part of the joke is having another character react to the joke. So, Kenan and Cecily really do well in this sketch in particular. If you watch this one again, just watch them reacting to stuff. So, yeah, it's I wouldn't call it an absolute home run. Like... I would have loved to see like Will Forte in this or something playing that Donald Glover role. He would have been a little darker with it, a little even more intense about it. But yeah, it was it was absolutely one of the standout uh, uh, sketches of the night. And just again, anybody who watches the show from like a comedy writing perspective and just a uh, actors reacting to one another perspective, there's a lot of neat stuff going on in this one that I think I'm always I'm always uh, appreciative when SNL does stuff like that.
0: Alright, let's finish things off here. I, I wish this was the last sketch, but we have one more, which is uh we have these convicts working, you know, for, for Petting Zone Dollar at this customer service center, and the joke is essentially that these guys are very hardcore convicts, and then as soon as they get on the phone, they sort of put on this affectation, you know, customer service voice that's almost like night and day. I thought that you know, you could you could understand the joke, and I think that all three of them, Keenan, Chris Redd, and Donald Glover, did a good job. I think Donald Glover actually had the the best sort of uh you know, transformation between the voices. But I thought it was it was a, a fine way to end. I probably would have liked to end on Barbie Interns, but I can understand why they put this in here. Do you have any particular thoughts about this one?
1: No, this guy. Okay, I totally agree with you. Barbie should have been the last one of the night because that's the bizarre ten to one sketch. This one, this was a fine acting performance. I really, I really appreciate stuff like this on the show from time to time. You get to see that they're really good actors, like you get to see Chris Red. I see you said uh, Glover was the best. I thought Chris Red was the best of the different affectations, but I thought they were all really good in this. And again, it was really three really good dramatic performances, and Keenan, of course, Keenan always good, but good dramatic performances in a sketch that really wasn't that funny. It wasn't really (laughs) haha funny it was you're just kind of appreciating the different characters these guys can play back and forth and then the stuff with beck at the end i don't really think was all that interesting they didn't really need that although it was nice to throw some other cast members in the show this week so that was nice yeah i was uh, gonna say
0: because we so yeah we had beck a little bit in this but you know no kate as we mentioned before barely any 80 kyle mooney only chilling out a skateboard uh in Mm -hmm. that in well except for and this will segue nicely into uh, the cut for time sketch that hit the, uh, the NBC YouTube page after this episode. Uh, the other Cavaliers, obviously not in my wheelhouse as I'm not a basketball fan, but it's essentially saying like, hey, there are more Cavs players besides LeBron. But the, the game is that like these are all these people that don't really, you know, they're not really good basketball players, but they help at least they're there for moral <laughs> support.
1: I have not heard of that sketch. I didn't know that was on there. I, I would like to see that because that is a excellent idea for a uh, comedy sketch. So I will check that out. Thank you for the recommendation. And just to follow up on, on just you what, on what you just said that, again, how I could not live with myself as a comedy producer, knowing that I had Kyle Mooney in my cast on my TV show and Stormy Daniels got more airtime than Kyle Mooney on a episode of TV that I produced that would that would hurt me very much as a TV comedy producer.
0: Well, hopefully Kyle will get some redemption, as with Kate and the others, next week as we uh, bid, we take off our glovers, as it will, and we slip on a shoe or a shoe in <laughs> Amy Schumer appearing next episode with Casey Musgraves, a nice country singer, as the musical guest. As a comedy nerd, what are your opinions on Amy Schumer? I feel like they become very, you know, last time she hosted was. Like, almost three years ago, it was right when Trainwork was coming out, and I feel like she was sort of at the top of the world. But I feel like she's kind of become a bit polarizing in the past few years in the comedy
1: world. Wait, you don't think she was polarizing before?
0: I mean, I think it was maybe that she wasn't, she didn't have, like, this big, I don't know, reputation to herself. You know, she wasn't uh, headlining blockbuster movies before that.
1: Yeah, it's, I... I, I'm sure I don't speak for myself. I'm sure there are many other people who would probably agree with this. I do not like Amy Schumer at all. And it's I have never liked her. And it's funny. There's a couple comedians over the years that just grate on me that they come out and they're a big deal and I can't stand them. And I it's nothing personal. They're just not my style at all. Tom Green was one. I could not stand that guy. He drove me nuts how popular he got. And then he was on the SNL, maybe the worst episode of SNL I've ever seen in my life. I hated that episode.
0: Was that was that was that the one where he tried to propose to Drew Barrymore at the end?
1: Yes, that was fantastic. It was again, we're not watching SNL, we're watching the Tom Green show. So there's just some people Oh boy, we, did, we do not like
0: the Tom Green show, the literal one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. No, Tom Green, I never liked. Andrew Dice Clay, I never understood why he was so popular. He just grated on me just my every last nerve. And Amy Schumer is kind of the modern day representation of them that I will give her a chance on SNL. I have yet to see anything I really like about her. She just seems angry to me and I don't like angry comedy like that it's so it's one of these things I know she's real popular but I know she's super polarizing I've heard this for years that people love her people hate her people say she's a joke thief I don't know I will give her every chance on SNL but I am not lying I am absolutely not looking forward to the fact that I have (laughs) committed to talking about an Amy Schumer episode of SNL because that's like a oil and water would be like me and her so again I wish her well I hope she really does well on SNL but I'm not anticipating a lot how about you on this one
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm probably a bigger Amy Schumer fan than you are. Maybe it's just because my reality TV fan loved watching her uh, grow up in Last Comic Standing, only to get cut short of the title, but actually surpass them all in terms of fame. I I saw Trainwreck, and I liked that. And I think that the last time that she hosted, I thought she she did a a pretty good job. So I'll be excited to see, at least from that track record going, exactly what's going to happen. If you're not a fan of her comedy, you're only going to see about five minutes of her stand-up. And if you're a fan of her comedy, you get to see five minutes of her stand-up. So... I feel like we're, we're good either way, and I don't know, I, again, I'll, I, I'll knock on wood, but I really do feel like with this Glover episode included, the back half of this SNL season has really been on a hot streak, and I'm hopeful that she's going to continue that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you and that I have, I have liked pretty much every episode I've talked. I think I've only been on for like five or six episodes now. I've liked every one of them to some degree, and this was no, no uh, exception. I thought this was a fun one. I obviously didn't like this one as much as like the uh, Natalie Portman. I think that was still my favorite. But yeah, this, it has been a solid run of episodes, and we will see if they continue it next week, and uh, we will see if we can get Stormy Daniels on the show again. It would be nice to have her back for a little more.
0: Yeah, she's gonna do the circuit. She'll do uh, she'll do the SNL <laughs> podcast after SNL, of course. Uh, well <laughs> yes. you you can follow both of us on Twitter. Mario is at Mario J Lanza, I am at a Mike Bloom type. Mario, I know it, that in the break between SNL episodes you have put out your own slew of staff <laughs> picks podcasts, is that correct?
1: Yes. Again, I can't. I keep beating people over the head with this. I have this podcast, Staff Picks. It's all about underrated, underloved movies. It's 100% positive. I just get me and a friend or someone who loves some other movie, some movie over the last 30 years, we get on there and we just rave about it, why it's so awesome, why it means something to our lives, how it influenced us. And I just did one on the Albert Brooks movie, Lost in America from 1985, just the other day. I think I released it this morning. And it's it's really good. I don't really rave about stuff that I produce all that much, but I think staff picks is, they're really good episodes. There's really intelligent, mature, like uh, interesting discussion on movies and what it means to people's lives. So again, staff com. That's where you can find it. I'm very proud of that.
0: And if you're also fans of Survivor, uh, Mario Landon and I have come out of our proverbial groundhog hole to do our uh, our second part of Su- Survivor Samoa, which should be coming out pretty soon, probably in 24 to 36 hours after this podcast <laughs> gets released. So that was a lot of fun as well to get to, uh, to shake off the rust and get back to that.
1: Yeah, it was like a good game of bocce ball. We were right there in the sink and just playing, having some fun
0: absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for this week of SNL Funhouse. Follow Will from America at Will from America to get his thoughts on the musical guest and also SNL in general. Will, thank you for your thoughts as always. Thank you all. Uh sorry again about the uh the usual lateness. Uh we have some scheduling stuff and just uh, as a heads up between the holidays and some other scheduling stuff. Uh, these these might not necessarily come out on Sundays for the rest of the season, but we're going to try to get them out as quickly to you as possible because we love getting to talk with SNL and we'd love to hear from you about it as well. So that's going to do it this week for SNL Funhouse. We'll be back next week talking about Amy Schumer with Miss Casey Musgraves as the musical guest. But for now, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>